I would invite you now to turn to Luke chapter 18. <coughs> Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. Here we have a short parable, but very convicting and comforting at the same time. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I give. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Thus far the reading of God's word. Well, many of you probably know this, but Bree and I live in California right now, and one of the things we missed while in California was a Michigan fall. There's nothing like fall here in Michigan, and one of the things Bree and I loved to do um, while we lived here was take a stroll and look around at all the leaves that are changing color. You have red, yellow, um, take a walk through the park or some trail. And yet, what you might not know as you take this stroll and look at these big, beautiful trees that look good on the outside is that inside of their trunks, they are actually rotten. They are rotting from the inside out. Now, this can happen to maple trees and oak trees, but you would never know that just by looking at them because of how beautiful they are. Well, Jesus here gives us a parable of those who also look good on the outside. They do the right things externally, but on the inside, they are rotting with pride. We read in verse 9, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so this parable paints for us a wonderful picture of who is really righteous in the kingdom of God. And it comes to us in two prayers. We have one prayer, the prayer of a Pharisee, the ideal religious person at the time, someone whom everyone knew was righteous. Everyone thought the Pharisees were righteous, and they were close to God. And then we have another prayer, the prayer from a tax collector, Someone whom everyone knew was far from God. God could not justify a tax collector. They were too bad. And our main point for this evening is really quite simple. The one who justifies himself to God 
will not be justified by God. The one who justifies himself to God will not be justified by God. First, look at the place of prayer as we see in verse 10. The temple. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now, the temple was significant for the old covenant people of God. Um, God rescued his people from the Exodus so that he might dwell with them. And the temple was the physical manifestation of his presence with his people. Um, Israel met with God there. They worshiped him there. They offered sacrifices to him there. And the temple was God-oriented, God-centered. You went to the temple to look away from yourself and look towards God's provision for the forgiveness of sins. And most importantly, this temple was also holy. It was sanctified because the holy presence of God was there. The holy presence of God was there. And so when you came into the temple, it demanded this proper attitude, this proper mindset. The holy presence of God demanded humility. Remember Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. And God speaks from the burning bush. And what does he tell Moses? Moses, take off your sandals. You are standing on holy ground. And then he takes them off to express his humility. Now the Pharisee, he of all people should have known this. He should have known the proper attitude one must have when in God's presence. But instead, what do we find? We find the Pharisee with a prideful heart. A prideful heart. Note his physical posture in verse 11. He's standing by himself. He's standing by him. <laughs> I think Jonathan missed the page when he printed out. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, thank you. You gave me a heart attack, Jonathan. I, <laughs> I never do double-sided for that reason. <laughs> um, but this Pharisee, he's standing while he's praying. And this is not bad in and of itself. Um, there were times when you were allowed to stand in the temple. There are even times here in our worship where we stand to pray. So it's not the fact that he's standing that gets him in trouble. The issue is his spiritual posture while he's standing. And Jesus wants us to look beyond the physical actions themselves to the intention behind his actions. We see his intentions really come out in verse 11 in his prayer. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, on the surface, this looks like a good prayer. You may have prayed this prayer before. On the surface, he has gratitude in his heart. He gives thanks to God. And it's likely a true prayer. The Pharisees really were not like other people. They were popular religious leaders who knew the law inside and out. They believed in the resurrection. Externally, they were zealous for obedience. They were in a class all by themselves, as it were. And yet, this prayer that on the surface looks good, in reality, is filled with legalism when we look closer at it. 
The Pharisee, he makes his own laws. What does he say? He fasts twice a week. Well, the law only required one fast around the Day of Atonement. And then he says he tithes on everything he had. Well, the law only required farmers to tithe on their crops, not those who bought the, pro- bought the crops themselves. And so clearly he goes above and beyond what God requires in his law. And then he has the nerve to condemn other people for not following his own self-made standard of religion. And historically, this is a major point of contention in Jesus' ministry. He calls out the Pharisees on multiple accounts. He calls them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they cleaned up nice, but on the inside, their religion is dead. It is rotten. It is worthless. And this Pharisee here, what do we find? He's bragging to God. He brags about a negative and a positive righteousness. Negatively, he says, I am not like all these other people in society. And then he lines them all up. And people whom you would know um, are not righteous. They, They are not deserving of God's grace. Extortioners, God could not love them. Thieves, how could God love a thief? So he looks at all these people and measures his own righteousness, and he comes out thinking, well, I'm pretty good. I'm okay compared to them. And then positively, look at what he says. He says, I fast, I tithe. And so when you put his negative and his positive righteousness together, he seeks to offer it to God so that he will tell him, good job. He's seeking justification because of what he's doing and because of what he's not doing. And then notice how in his prayer, all the verbs are in the first person singular. He says, God, I thank you. I am not like other men. I fast twice a week. This is a very man-centered prayer, isn't it? And do you find yourself praying like this? Thank you, Father, that I am not like this other family. We have family worship. We don't go to public schools. Thank you, Father, that I don't struggle with that sin anymore like this other person. And so this Pharisee, he believes that he does not need anything from God. Could you really call this a prayer? Rather, he's trying to promote himself, right? This, this is not a prayer. And it's not too different from social media culture today where you have people taking videos of themselves or pictures of themselves, doing humble acts of charity. And then you, when you look at them, it makes you wonder, well, why did you have to videotape it? It kind of ruins the whole thing, right? And so these humble acts, these good works, can very easily come from a heart of pride. This, par- this Pharisee is filled with pride. Now compare this with the other character in our parable the tax collector. He, as it were, he leaves his status behind. He's not worried about what other people think of him. He's not trying to promote himself. This tax collector merely brings a plea for mercy. And we see that in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Know his physical posture. He is also standing, but he's standing far off. The intention behind his actions is key. 
Now, this Pharisee, on the one hand, he stands, but is puffed up with pride. This tax collector, on the other hand, he's standing far off. Now, that language of far off should trigger in our minds when Israel is at Mount Sinai. They're in the presence of a holy God. They're at Mount Sinai. There's thunder. There's lightning. They're afraid. They're trembling. And what are they doing? They're standing far off. And in that moment, they realize you can't just come into the presence of a holy God. You can't forget where you are. And then we look at the content of this tax collector's prayer. It's a very short prayer, isn't it? And he actually makes the request of God. God, be merciful to me. He's not the subject of his prayer, like the Pharisee. He says, God, be merciful to me. Show me mercy. He wants to be the object of divine mercy. He knows that he's a needy person. He acknowledges his guilt. You only pray for mercy when you're guilty, when you think you've done something wrong. Remember David's cry after he committed adultery in Psalm 51. What does he say? Be merciful. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Now, this word, be merciful to me, in our text is quite interesting because it's not the word that one would typically use. This word calls to mind an atonement, a sacrifice, a sacrifice that would turn away God's wrath and turn it into favor, a sacrifice. That is what the tax collector is looking for here in our text. He's not trying to compare himself, but rather he points the finger at himself. He says, I am the chief of all sinners like Paul. Wretched man that I am. He knows that his sin is first and foremost between him and God. And God is not going to line up everyone in the world and compare them to each other. Rather, God is going to compare everyone in the world to himself, to his own righteous and holy law. And that is how God is going to judge us as well. And we know that we've broken his law, don't we? And so this tax collector, he shows signs of a humble heart because he knows he's poor before this God. Now, the tax collector, physically speaking, had a lot of, a lot of money. But before this God, he realizes how poor he really is to save himself. And this could only come from a self-awareness and a self-knowledge of who he is in comparison to God, that his righteousness is as filthy rags before God. God isn't going to judge him because of his own righteousness. He can't. If, he, if God were to do that, he would go to hell. And that's why he begs for mercy. Now, what is Jesus trying to tell us in this parable? We have two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Well, He's trying to show us who is really righteous in the kingdom. He's trying to show us how the kingdom operates. And then parables are meant to reverse our expectations. They reverse what we would expect. This religious person who did all the right things, as it were, does not end up righteous in the eyes of God because he trusted in himself. And so we learn that righteousness in the kingdom is more than a ritual. 
is more than a ritual. Now, ritual in itself is not bad. We as Reformed believers, we love liturgy, we love rituals. They're not bad. It was a good thing that the Pharisee went to the temple. It was a good thing that he attempted to pray. It was even a good thing that he was tithing and and fasting. But just as important is the heart with which he did his religious activity. God does not need our good works at all. God is not a pagan deity. He does not need anything from us. He's the self-contained God. And for us to offer up our good works to him as if he needs them, that would be folly. That would be foolish. And so we cannot come to church and read our Bibles, sing hymns, go through the motions, thinking we are earning God's favor, thinking that we are doing him a favor. No, God wants our heart. And not only does he want our heart, he wants a humble heart. He dwells with this humble heart. We cannot think that we are justified because of what we are doing. And yet the temptation is to think that. The temptation is to think that I'm being sanctified. He's progressively making me more and more like Jesus Christ. And yet that's the reason why he's going to accept me. And yet that would be backwards. No, first God declares a sinner righteous. He justifies them by grace through faith. And then he works these righteous deeds in them, gives them a new heart, helps them to live a godly life. But this godly life that we live in no way affects our justification. And that's, what, that's the pit that the Pharisee falls into. He thinks that by doing these things, I am earning something with God. This man, this, fair, this tax collector, on the other hand, whom everyone looked down upon, no one thought a tax collector could be justified. He is actually the one who goes home justified. Now, why is that? Well, because he came to his God and pleaded for mercy. And God promises to answer that plea. Anyone who comes to him for mercy will receive it. And so we also learn that the kingdom is inclusive. The the kingdom includes all kinds of outsiders, but not like the world is inclusive. The world says, well, come as you are. We'll welcome you. You don't need to repent. You don't need to confess your sin. Take pride in who you are. No, the kingdom of God is inclusive, but for those who humble themselves. There is mercy for those who humble themselves and cry out to God for mercy. He will answer that prayer. In Jesus' day, it was the tax collector, but think about who those people might be in our day. Those people whom we think are too far gone, they don't deserve mercy. In Jesus' day, the tax collector, who might that be in our day? And yet, you might think that's you in our day. Maybe you've done something in your past a long time ago. Maybe rather recently, even a week ago, even today. But I'm here to tell you that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. His blood will wash away any of your sins, all of your sins, if you would cry out to him and receive this mercy. Humbly come to him. This tax collector, he was looking 
for a sacrifice in the temple. That's what they did in the temple. They offered sacrifices. He's crying out to God for a sacrifice. Now we know who that sacrifice is, don't we? Jesus Christ is the one who turns away God's wrath. He's our atoning sacrifice. He dies to death in our place. He humbled himself even to the point of death, death on an old rugged cross. And then he fulfills verse 14 that God will exalt the humble because he is the humble one. He did not need any mercy. He humbled himself for us, didn't he? And so we, by faith, when we place our faith in him, we have union with him. And our exaltation is with him in heavenly places right now. And that is our hope. When we humble ourselves today in faith, God will highly exalt us because we have union with our risen Savior. That is our hope right now. Our hope is glory to come. Glory to come. And yet there's also a warning for those who do not humble themselves now, but exalt themselves now and puff themselves up, you will be humbled. It might not be right now. You might not feel it in a week. But one day the Lord Jesus Christ will humble you. And that is a scary thing. When Jesus Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead, everyone will be humbled. The question is, will you do so willingly now? Will you do so willingly And so don't be that prideful person that is shut out of the doors of the kingdom. Don't be like those big, beautiful trees that look beautiful on the outside and the externals of religion you have down. But humble yourself. Cry out for mercy because that is the safest place to be. And God will be with you in that humble place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your only begotten Son. He humbled himself to such a degree that we cannot imagine. And yet the call in our lives is also to humble ourselves. But we do so knowing we have a humble Savior, a humble King. One who does not rule as a tyrant. But he's tender in mercy. He's willing and able to save He's eager to save and wash away all of our sins. And so, Father, by your Spirit, draw us unto yourself. Help us to be a humble people, one who, a people who do not look down on others, but a people who bleed mercy. We receive mercy, and then we show it to other people, Lord. We know that this work is impossible without you, without your Holy Spirit. So help us in this work, we do pray. In Christ's name, amen.